again, that's sort of what we're hoping for all these little children that we dedicated to the Lord, that we see one day that they come to that personal faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that's um, ultimate success. You know, I think we all want to be successful in life, don't we? Um, whether, you know, you're young or old, we, we just have that innate desire to be successful. I, I've seen that in the business world, and I see it in the church world, that, that leaders and, and just average ordinary people want to be successful. And I've also noticed that um, a lot of the, the business leaders and the church leaders, they're reading the same books on the secret to success. I don't know if you've noticed that before. Here's just a small stack of the books that Scott Feltz has read on success that I borrowed from his library. And uh, some of these I've read, um, some of you guys have probably read some of these, like um, Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. That should be familiar to a lot of people. It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, here, here's one a little more modern um, for you, uh, Jen, whatever we're on. The, uh, so... So Malcolm uh, Gladwell, David and Goliath, this is a great book on leadership. He's got other ones like Outliers and things like that, really good books. Um, one of my favorites, Jim Collins, Good to Great. He's also done some other books since then that actually focus on the social sector. And myself and, and the staff and some of the leaders of the church got to go and see and, and hear from Jim Collins just a few years ago at, at Catalyst. And Jim, what he does is, if, if you're not familiar with him, he studies not just good companies, but great companies. And he specifically looks at the attributes and characteristics of their leaders, specifically the CEOs of these companies. And it's fascinating to see his results, what he's discovered about them, these common attributes of these great leaders. And they're not necessarily what I would have imagined going into it. But, but here's the, the fascinating thing. I, I love listening to him. So Jim was not a Christian. He, he's not a follower of Jesus. But as he's been doing all these studies, you know what he's found? That, that the, the characteristics, these attributes of these highly successful leaders are all biblical and Christ-like. And, and as I was just listening to him share these stories, I'm thinking, you know what? It's just a matter of time until that guy becomes a Christ follower. Because he's, he's seeing in empirical data and evidence that really, if you want to be successful, you need to be a follower of Jesus. You need to live, love, and lead like him. And so as we're starting this new study on Joshua, this morning we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to look at the secret to success, the secret to success. And I think all of us, again, young and old, are all looking for success in our lives. What is the secret to success? Now, um, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you know, turn there now, if you will. If you've got a church Bible, page 208, you can follow along. Um, I I think you're going to get a lot out of this. Last week, I I spent the time um, covering the whole first five books of the Bible which I think was a record. And uh, so we covered all first five books. They're known as the Pentateuch, that Penta five, or the Torah. And so Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible, and that's where we're going to be. We, we ended last week with Moses dying. So we were focusing on Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into this promised land, this land that God had promised to Abraham. And now Joshua rises as the new leader. Moses had been training Joshua for years, for some 40 years. 
Now, Joshua is not the young buck that he once was. So 39 years earlier, he was among the 12 that went into this promised land and spied it out. And he and, and Caleb were the only ones that said, we can take it. But the other 10 said no. And again, if you were with us last week or you know the story, that ended up them just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off. Well, now it's time. It's time for Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. So you know where I think we should begin? With a map. We need a map. Some of you guys have been asking me, Scott, when are we going to get the maps back? And uh, here we are. So if you've got a Bible, I don't know, like when you were a kid, you got a Bible and you look in the back of the Bible, there are all these maps. If you have a Bible, you're going to find you probably have this map or one very similar to it. And here what we have is a picture of the promised land. And on here, we have superimposed the different territories that these 12 tribes of Egypt would inherit. This, this is their land. Now, we ended up last week right here. It's hard to see from your vantage point. That says Mount Nebo. And notice how it's right here, and, and it overlooks this promised land. So here's the Jordan River. Here's the Dead Sea. This is, is the land flowing with milk and honey. Moses went up on that mountain, and that's where he died as he, as he looked at the promised land, but he never got to go into it and take hold of it. Now, the Israelites, they were, they were camping out right in here. This is Moab, and then we also see some of the territory. So some of the Israelites settled on the east side of the Jordan instead of going into the west side of the Jordan. So they were content to be here, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and then this half-tribe of of Manasseh. So they got land on both. I don't know what exactly they did to deserve that, but they're they're like scoring bigger than anybody else. And so they could have just settled right there. But God had told Joshua, now is the time. And so Joshua made his way through all these different groups, and he started to rally the troops. He got all the young men that were ready to fight, and he got them ready for battle. And he said, we're going to go in, and we're going to take the land. And he even said to the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, he said, you guys are going in to fight also. You're going to fight until all of your brethren have settled their land. It's not enough for you to just settle on the east side of the Jordan. You're still going to go and you're going to fight for your brothers. And they said, we're in. We will follow you just like we followed Moses. And so um, that's where we pick up. Now, having um, done all that, we're going to look at the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1 because it's just too much to cover in one sitting. So the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1. The first six of those nine, I think, are specific instructions to Joshua that really outline the success that he is going to experience. So the first six, let's begin there. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend, so he's given boundaries, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one, 
No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the Lord, the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. We see some promises given to Joshua here. We see three specific promises. The first one involved land, and God said, everywhere you place your foot, it's going to be yours. The second we see is victory. He says that no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And then finally, he speaks of presence. He said, so I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are the promises of success that God gave Joshua. And here's the amazing thing. If you notice, he he ends with this odd command. And I, I want you to see it as a command, a command. He says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, the source of this strength for Joshua is not his physical strength. Remember, Joshua is not a young buck anymore. He's like in his late 50s, but, but he's fit, kind of like me. And, uh, you know, like he's ready. Like he is ready to go lead the people in a battle. But he is not dependent on his own strength and his own courage. Who's he dependent upon? He's dependent upon God. See, he, he, he's looking um, for that strength and that courage that is only found in God, in, in God's presence, in God's promise, in God's power to fulfill that promise. That's what he's looking to. That is the source of Joshua's strength and his courage. And that's crucial that we grasp that. Now, if you remember from last week, or you know the story, um, we saw God's faithfulness as he, he delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt in miraculous, miraculous ways. And how God was faithful to provide for them and to protect them throughout their journey. But you didn't hear stories of great courage on the part of the Israelites. That, that's something you just didn't, didn't hear about them. Um, we still see God blessing them despite their oftentimes disobedience. But I also mentioned last week that, that it's important that we obey because blessings follow obedience. It's hard to expect God to bless you if you're not being obedient to him, even though sometimes he does. Well, that's what we see with the Israelites in the first um, real six, six verses of, of chapter one. Now, we're going to look at the next three, and I think the promises here, and I think this is where we truly find the secret to, to success for all of us. I, I believe what we're going to see in these next three verses are universal promises of God. I, I think they apply to us every bit as much as they apply to Joshua and the Israelites back in their day and time. So listen to verses seven through nine. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. So you remember the Ten Commandments? Remember all these other laws, too, that came down? Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous. And successful. Have I not commanded you? 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now notice again. Notice that command. This is now to all the Israelites, not just Joshua. And I believe it's the same command to us today. He says, be strong, but what? Very courageous. Very courageous. He's emphasizing our need to be courageous. Because if you, again, remember the story of the Israelites, they were not courageous. And he's saying, but you've got to be very courageous. Be very courageous. What defined them was not courage, but it was fear. Remember, they were so fearful. It seemed like they were always fearful. And I think the source of their fear is the same as ours. I think the source of their fear is the same as ours. Here's what I believe the problem is. Their focus was on the possibility of their pain instead of being focused on the presence and the promise of God. God gave them a promise, and he promised to be present with them. But they were focused more on the possibility of their pain instead of the promise of God's presence. And I think that's our problem today. I I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about when you're anxious and when you're fearful. I bet you it's because you're more focused on the possibility of pain than you are on the promise of God's presence. Think about it in just some, some common, ordinary ways. Maybe you're afraid of heights, right? Well, that's probably because you're more focused on, on fear than you are on God's presence. You're focused more on the fear of falling, and it's really not the falling that's the issue, is it? It's the landing that is the real issue, and you're afraid that you're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to break something, or, or worse, you might die. And that's why you have this fear of heights. Think about snakes. You know, some of you guys like snakes. I do not. I'm afraid of snakes. Why am I afraid of snakes? Well, I'm afraid of getting hurt. I'm afraid of them biting me. I'm afraid of the, one of those things maybe being venomous, right? And then I'm going to be really in bad shape, and maybe I will die. And so there's this fear of pain. Think about death. Lots of people are fearful about death. Well, what are they fearful of? Maybe it's fearful of suffering, and they don't want to suffer that pain. Or maybe it's fearful of what will come next. What will happen to them after they die? We have these fears. These fears are based in the possibility of pain. I was thinking about all the kids among us going back to school and the teachers, and then lots of people have been starting new jobs. Well, we have a tendency to be afraid when we enter into those situations, right? And we're fearful of this possibility of pain. You know, maybe I'm going to be late and look foolish, or I'm going to get lost and not know where I'm going, or I'm going to do something wrong, and, you know, I don't want that, or I'm not going to be welcomed in. Or the economy. I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to be able to do the things that I want to do. Or finding a spouse. Or losing a spouse. We're afraid that we're going to be left alone. I could go on and on and on, and I'm sure you could too. But you notice the common denominator? It's a fear of the possibility of pain. Because a lot of times, this pain is not even realized. 
And here's the challenge. The reason we're so fearful is because we don't focus on the promise of God's presence, regardless of the situation. Remember, Joshua was promised by God. God said, you know, I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He, he found that, that that was the source of his strength. And when you, know, when you know that God is with you, that he is going to be there for you no matter what, doesn't that give you courage? Doesn't that provide you strength? You can conquer the world when you know God, the creator of the universe, is right there with you. He's going to bring about success. I think that's why Joshua was strong and courageous. That command to be strong and courageous followed this promise of God's presence. The same is true for us today. So if, if you um, follow Jesus, if you read John, if you get to chapter 15 and, and chapter 16, Jesus is, is predicting that he's going to go away, that he's going to leave, that he's going to die. And he's trying to console his followers, known as disciples, which if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're trying to live and love and lead like him, you are a disciple. You are a follower. This promise is for you today as well. And he said, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you always. Well, how is that? Well, he said, I'm going to be with you always in a different kind of way because my spirit is going to come and live within each and every one of you that are truly my disciples, my followers. That was his promise. And so that's a promise that is a reality for some of us. I know it's true because I have experienced his presence in my life. I know it. I know the Holy Spirit lives within me. Some of you guys have experienced that. You know the Holy Spirit lives within you. We are better off than Joshua and the Israelites because God was just with them. Now we have the promise God in us. Like he never goes away. He doesn't come and go. Once he takes up residence, he's there. You have God with you. If that is the case, why are we so fearful? Why are we so fearful? We should be strong and courageous. That's the command, and that's why we can be that way. Now, um, when we're being fearful, again, we're focusing too much on the possibility of pain, not enough. On, on, for a lot of us, the reality of his presence. Um, be strong and courageous. And I think that's instrumental to the secret of su- success. Now, I'm going to sum that up for you in, in two Two lines, um, two points. So if you got your, your books out, this, this is what you want to write down. If you got your phones out, you got that little note you know, icon, type it out. You want to be successful, here are the two things you need to do. You ready? First one is to know God. If you want to be successful, you need to know God. Second, you need to obey him. You need to do what God says. It's that simple. You want to be successful in life. You want to be successful for eternity. Know God. Do what he says. I can't sum it up any more clearly than that. That's what we see in Joshua in verse 7 and 8. And he talks about practical ways that we do this. Now, um, it's sort of unsaid. It's assumed that you have a relationship with God. As he, he's given us these words in Joshua, that's the assumption that you have this relationship with God. And then he talks about, well, if you have this relationship, how should you respond? And you should respond in obedience. You should obey. And he begins to lay that out. He says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? Why should we obey? 
He goes on to say, so that you may be successful wherever you go. So that you may be successful wherever you go. That's why we obey God. He wants to give us success wherever we go. All right. Oh, there we go. Thank you. The second, hey, there we go again. The second part of that is how does that play itself out? And that happens, I think, through the way we... way we speak. <laughs> Y'all are killing me. And then the way we act. So the way we speak, the way we think, and the way we act. Think about it. Listen to these things. I'm just going to roll, and it may come in or out. It says, keep this book of the law. Lips, on your lips, so what you speak. And then it, it goes on and says, meditate. That's in your mind. Meditate on it day and night. Keep it in your mind. And then be careful to do everything how we act. This is not the secret to success right here. Whatever we're doing, this is not it, all right? <laughs> Has nothing to do with this. Why do we focus on what we, what we say and what we think about and what we do? It says, then you will be prosperous and successful. God wants you to be prosperous and successful. That's his goal. The ultimate sign of success is that you have a relationship with God. That's the ultimate sign of a success that if you have that personal relationship, regardless of what happens from here on out, that your eternity is certain. You will be with him forever and ever. That's our ultimate success. But we also have an opportunity to influence those around us. We have an opportunity to be successful in many different forms and fashions right here on earth. And so that's what I want us to focus on a little bit here because when you get the Ten Commandments, so he's saying make sure that you're doing all these things that Moses talked about, and if you look at these successful people, especially as Jim Collins pointed out, their attributes, the highly successful people aren't worshiping false idols, right? They're, they don't have disdain for God. They're, they're not, you know, just mistreating their parents through their words and their deeds. They're not killing people, right? That, that's not their characteristics. They're not sexually immoral people. They don't lie, cheat, and steal. They're not pursuing their neighbor's spouse or their neighbor's possessions. Those are not attributes of a highly successful person. 
when people are doing that, it's because they're more focused on what they don't have instead of being content and at peace with what they do have. Right? And that's a critical piece. So when we have a relationship with God, it begins there. We are successful. How do we play that out? Well, we keep the words of the Bible always on our lips. We keep them always on our lips, and that's critical. Now, this book, it's full of godly wisdom. Godly wisdom and practical wisdom is found in here. For all kinds of things, like conflict resolution. We all deal with conflict, Matthew 18. Go read it. Um, maybe you're looking, just as some of these folks are, how do I raise my children? Well, go to the Proverbs. There's a lot said there. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Fabulous. Um, maybe you're, you're um, looking for a spouse, right? You know, before there was Match.com or, or Tinder, there was the Bible. Like, you can go to Ephesians 5. It tells you all you need to do about um, the kind of spouse you should be looking for. Maybe you, you're running a business and you're trying to figure out what are some good business practices. It's in there, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There's all kinds of great godly wisdom in here. This is a very practical book. You need to have it on your lips, but you need to have it in your mind. You need to meditate on it day and night. It's important not just to read it, but to study it and to memorize it. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, Steve Hildebrand, on Friday, and he was telling me about his 12-year-old son. He has memorized the book of John, the entire book of John. Not only has he memorized it in English, he's memorized it in Latin also. Like, has anybody else done that? Like, if you've got John 3.16, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, right? I mean... We need to meditate on this. We need to memorize it so it's on our mind because if it's on our mind, guess what? It might actually flow forth from our lips. It's important. And then it says, um, be careful to do everything written in it. We're called to be people of action. People of action. Um, Joshua, or not Joshua, but in James 1.22, he said, don't just be hearers of the word and, and deceive yourselves. Be doers of it. We're people of action. Now look, Success begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. And then it continues on as we begin to do what he says. This is his book. We do what it says. Then we'll be prosperous and successful. And success may not look like Lamborghinis and, and yachts and private planes, but here, here's what I believe success will look like. It'll look like being surrounded by people who have had their lives touched and changed by Jesus Christ and by you, by how God has used you to touch their lives. That's true success. That's the ultimate success. And maybe you'll experience worldly success as well, but I guarantee you the true success that you're going to cherish more than others is looking around you and seeing the people that God has used you to influence for the sake of eternity because that's all that's gonna last. That's ultimately all that's gonna matter. That's true success. Hey, I know we've had a lot this morning, it's going a little long, but I, I just wanna close with a, a personal story to try and bring it together. Some of you guys have heard bits and pieces of this, and I wasn't gonna share, but the staff said, you know what, it's, it's probably worth it. There's a lot of new people here that haven't heard you go on and on about yourself. And so, um, <laughs> here you go. So when I graduated college, uh, I went to work for Allstate Insurance Company. I was a supervisor in training. 
And uh, I, w I was gung-ho. I was so ambitious. I wanted to climb the corporate ladder faster than anybody else had done it. And I, I remember going in even the first week and, and just saying, what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to do to become just a plain old supervisor and get out of this training mode? And how do I get the next promotion and the next raise? And, and I was determined, and I worked super hard at it. I worked seven days a week. That was my focus. That was primarily my life. I just wanted to be successful from a worldly point of view. And, and I experienced some success by working hard like that. And sometimes I would end the week and I had great success and I would celebrate on Friday and then I'd go out Saturday and I'd go back to work because I wanted to get a jump on the next week because I wanted to have another successful week. And if things went well, I celebrated and if they didn't go so well, well, I was pretty miserable and I just continued to go back to work seven days a week just trying to be successful and prosperous. And, and I, I tur it turned out that I was really frustrated because it seemed like the boss would say, you, you need to do this, this, and that, and then you'll, you'll achieve what you want. And, and like, they'd keep moving the carrot, you know? And, and i just get more and more frustrated. And I was so focused on myself, I didn't really care much about other people. And I was at a kind of low place um, personally. I was feeling very lonely. Um, isolated, and I wasn't, you know, really achieving what I wanted to in my career. And it was during that time that, that Jesus came into my life, and it was profound for me. It completely changed me. And, and I went from a Friday being all about me and, and my professional success to the following Monday where, where I'm living for God and, and actually living for others, too. And it began to change. Now, I still worked hard. I was a hard-working guy. But my priorities were now in their proper alignment. And I actually cared about others and their success. And you know what started to happen? I began to read this book. Because I'd already read a lot of these books. And, and I began to discover that as I read this book, do you know where they, these guys got their information from? It's in this book. Like they all plagiarized and made millions off of it. I'm thinking, darn it. Like, why didn't I read this and study and I'll just reformat it and sell it and make millions of dollars? Like, this is the source of the secret to success. That's what all these, the, the main points, the right points in here, they're found right here. And I began to read this. And I was so hungry, and I'm thankful, again, that I tell you many times, start at Matthew, start in the New Testament if you're going to read it. And I just ate it up. I would come home from work and read until I fell asleep. And it began to sink into my brain, and I began to meditate on it. I began to memorize scripture, like Joshua 1.8 here. And all of a sudden, the word of God's on my mind, and then it comes out on my lips. And I began to do it, and I started to be successful from a professional standpoint. And I got that raise, and I got that promotion, and then I ended up um, moving to Pennsylvania, to Pittsburgh, and went into sales management up there. And like in the first year, we, we were the most successful agency in the entire region. I was getting um, awards and, and trips and bonuses left and right. Carolyn would get a check in the mail, and she's like, hey, we just got this check. Do you know what it's for? I'm like, I have no idea. Well, it says it's from Allstate and for this or that. I'm like, well, just cash it quickly, you know, before they figure it out like we didn't deserve it, you know. But like trips, you know, in Cancun and things like that. And um, you know what? I, I look back on my career that I cherish the most, the successes that I cherish the most, they're not the trips, they're not the promotions, and they're not the bonuses or, or the pay increases. 
They're the lives that I was able to influence for the sake of God for eternity. And when I look back, I think about when an older manager, Charlie Flora was his name, and he came to me one day and he knew that I was a Christian, and he started asking me some questions. And I was able to share what I had learned in the Bible, and I actually would always keep a, a copy of the Bible there to give away. And I gave him a Bible, and I told him to start reading in Matthew. That's one of my most cherished successes. Uh, I remember when some folks came and they asked me if I would come at lunchtime and lead a prayer meeting um, in one of the conference rooms for somebody that was dealing with cancer. One of my most cherished successes. Um, I remember when I was in sales and this 300-pound intimidating lineman, he used to be a college lineman, and, and I was afraid of the dude. And uh, that's maybe because I wasn't focused on the presence of God so much, but his presence, you know? And, and like he came in there and he had issues. And I remember sitting in the office and just saying, do you mind if I pray for you? And like getting up and, and being bold and like putting my hands on him and praying for him and watching this huge man just begin to break down and cry. And then for him to rise up and embrace me. Those are the successes in life and in the business world that I cherish the most. You see, here's the thing. We need to focus on knowing God and doing what he says. We need to know his word. We need to have it always on our lips, meditating on it day and night so that we're sure to do everything written in it. Then we'll be prosperous and successful. People, we need to be strong and courageous. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, be strong and courageous. We sang the first song, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's scriptural. Be strong and courageous. And let me leave you with this. Verse 9. Hear this. Hear this. Have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? He goes on. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Dear God, it's been a busy morning. So much to celebrate. So busy. And, and we thank you that um, you've given us your word, your truth. And we thank you that you do call us to be strong and courageous. And we have every reason to be. If you are present in our lives we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. I pray for more strength and more courage in our midst. For those who have yet to embrace you as their Lord and Savior Jesus, I pray that you would make that a reality. Holy Spirit, do that work. Help people to cross from death to life and experience the, the strength and the courage that comes from having you ever present with them. Help us, Lord, to really be successful, not just now here on earth, but for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.